Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we once again turn our focus and our attention on you and on your word. We, we open our ears and our spirits up to your Holy Spirit. We pray during this time that you would minister to us by your word. Pray that you would enable me to speak the words that you would have me to speak. I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words. Let the scripture come alive to us that we would have hope, encouragement, and strength. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I share the word, Deb Hullett has a word to share to kind of piggyback uh, what Phil was sharing and Don and others. Um, Pastor Larry a while back was preaching, um, and in, in, in the sermon is about Jesus in the 40 days that he was in the desert, and, and Satan was there tormenting him all those 40 days. And I was reminded, the Lord showed me that, you know, I've, all my life I've always thought, well, there's just Jesus and, and the devil just there. Well, over time I've come, well, this recently I've come to realize that Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's not everywhere like God is. God is everywhere. So then uh, Sharon uh, Skaggs got referred a book to me about angels. And so it, I remembered, you know, a third of the angels was kicked out. So for every demon, there is two angels. So the Lord showed me that it wasn't just Jesus and Satan in the desert. It was every demon in hell that was there supporting Satan. Jesus was surrounded by demons. We think we've got it rough today, but we don't. We really don't. We don't have it as bad as we think because we have more support than we realize. Because when those demons left, there was an end to those 40 days. There was a planned end. And when those demons left and Satan left Jesus standing there, I remember Pastor Larry saying, the angels ministered. To Jesus. The angels ministered to Jesus. They are at our command. The angels are there available for us. We're not alone. All we got to do is ask God, assign them for me. They are his army. They are our army. They are here to support us and fight for us and minister to us. Are we going to listen to angelic instructions? Are we going to listen to demonic distractions? Because Scripture teaches us that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And uh, in a moment, we're going to be turning to Second Peter. Uh, but I, I thought about this is this is not an unfamiliar passage. And yet, you may be looking at it for the first time ever today. That's fine. Uh, but it's always been one of my favorite passages because to me it gives us encouragement and strength. Last week we talked about that we are, we were not saved according to our works, but we were saved according to God's mercy, Titus 3.5. And we spent some time dealing with the depravity of mankind and our need for God and how our need for God brings glory to God. 
And uh, so we talked about last week that we've been saved according to God's mercy. That salvation that we received when we were born from above by the Holy Spirit, that salvation is not just a one-time experience, although it is that, and it's a very valuable one-time experience. But that salvation included the wherewithal that we need from God to do what he's called us to do. We'll get to that. And salvation, while being born again, is the pinnacle of our salvation. Salvation continues the rest of our life, uh, the rest of our days for deliverance and healing and health and wellness. And so what we want to look at today is that God saved us, he filled us, and then he sent us on our way, or really he sent us on his way. And He goes with us. Here's the key. Somebody said that today. Maybe Phil said it. God goes with us. He doesn't just send us on our way. He sends us on our way, and then he goes with us every step of the way through his Holy Spirit. And Peter, the letter of Peter, the second letter that Peter writes uh, in chapter 1, and verse 1, if you would stand while we read the scripture, if you can't, that's fine. Um, I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. Uh, Verse 1, Simeon Peter. Some of your Bibles are going to say Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. Everybody say all things. All things. things. Some of your versions there are going to say everything that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, 
you may be able at any time to recall these things. You could be seated. You can see the pastor's heart, the shepherd's heart, in Peter writing this letter, probably to a bunch of Christians in Asia, Asia Minor that were going through a tough time. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, what he's doing there is not saying, boy, aren't you fortunate that you were able to get the same faith we got. No, what he was saying there is that we all have equal faith. Nobody gets greater faith. We all get faith. Now, well, how we exercise our faith may be a difference. He said, you obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God. And then he says, his divine power has granted to us all things. His divine power has granted to us, has granted to us all things, everything we need, everything we need that would involve life and godliness. Sometimes we think that, I've heard people say, this Christian life, it's hard, it's hard to do. Well, it may be hard, but it's good. And I want to tell you that God has provided for you and he's provided for me everything. Everybody say everything. Everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And the main thing that he has provided is that when we were born from above by the spirit of God, when we were, when we were regenerated from the inside out at that moment, Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. Imputed is not a word we use very much. Christ's righteousness was credited to our account. And when you, when God looks into your account, spiritual account, what he sees is not the sin that you once committed. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he starts us out on our journey, as Phil said, as overcomers. Everything we need is divine. Divine is what comes from God. Divine is what emanates from the presence in the throne of God. And he granted us these, these promises. The generosity of God is exhibited to us in mercy and grace beyond, everybody say beyond, the born again experience. Again, Probably the greatest day of our life is when we said yes to Jesus and we were born again, born from above by the Spirit of God. But it didn't end there. Our Christian life did not end there. This is not just making an arrangement with God and, and sitting down over there and waiting until he comes back or wait till we die. It's not. It, it's a journey that we began that day. When I was in high school, we used to have a little button that said, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And we 70s, we were hippies, you know, we were. Well, the fact is, when you, when you're, when you, uh, were regenerated in a supernatural way and you became born from above, that was the first day of eternity for you. Now, we, we like to say, and it's not totally inaccurate to say eternity begins when we die and go to heaven. It's not actually true because once you've been born again, our, our little Baptist pastor used to say, you, if you're born once, you die twice. And if you're born twice, you die once. 
Let that sink in. Because you are now tasting of eternity. Yeah, our bodies are going to decay. Our bodies are going to, as Peter alludes to, or he actually references, he's not that far away from his body quitting on him. But as I say often at funerals, when a follower of Jesus Christ dies, uh, you know, I stand in front of the casket and I say, they're not there. They're not in that box or they're not in that urn. They didn't really die. The body, the body quit, but they're still alive. And when you leave this world, you're still going to be alive eternally. But while you're still here, I assume all of you are still here. Okay. I didn't see anybody. We must recognize this, this God who grants us everything we need. God has personally acted in his infinite power to accomplish a full salvation for his people. A full salvation, which means the rest of our life and every day of our life. As has been mentioned earlier, it is not by God's design that we would live under the circumstances. But it's by God's design that the circumstances may not change, but that we would live over the circumstances, that we would be overcomers and victorious in God. And he's given us everything we need for that. Only God can really cause us to accomplish that. Now, the interesting word here in the, in the ESV and some of the others, he, uh, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain, and some of your versions will say all things pertaining to. It's an interesting word there, pertain. It means... It means forward to. It means motion to a place. In other words, it's moving forward. So what God is saying is that he's given you and he's given me everything we need to keep moving forward. Forward. Everybody say forward. Keep moving forward. This Christian life is not a static life. It's not a thing where we just try to get things straightened out in our lives. We're moving. If, as a matter of fact, the very definition of backsliding is not necessarily going backwards, but the very definition of backsliding is to cease moving forward. Somebody today has said you can't halfway do it. There's no such thing. To move forward, and you've heard me say many times, the issue is not perfection but rather the issue is direction. Where are you headed? What direction are you going in? What direction are you aiming? The issue is not how many steps you've taken in that direction, but where are you aiming your life? What direction are you taking? Have you reached perfection? No. Will you reach perfection? No. Can you get direction? Absolutely. It's important, your direction. He said he's given us everything that moves us forward to life. To life. Now, obviously, we're not just talking about breathing in and out, you know, inhaling and exhaling. We're not just talking about blood flowing through our veins and our heart pumping. But I think you probably agree that's pretty good. But he's talking about John 10.10, I have come or I came that they may have life 
And not just have life, but have it abundantly. To have, to have more than is necessary. To be abounding all the more in a life that is a life of vitality and a fullness of life. This doesn't mean that we're always living in a party. Although you can, as Don said, you can choose to live in a party. You can choose whether or not you're going to have a bad mood. You know, you can put it on your calendar. I think tomorrow I'm going to have a bad mood. Y'all get ready. Or you can say, regardless of the circumstances that I'm facing, whether they be good or whether they be bad, regardless of those circumstances, I'm going to choose to have this disposition. Because God came, God gave us through Jesus Christ everything we need to, to have abundant Life, and I don't just mean the church. I mean to have life that is more abundant. Life that is more than is necessary. Life that is abounding to us. And we can go through anything. We can face anything. If we will embrace that life. And recognize God's already given us what we need. He also said everything that pertains to life and godliness. And this is where we falter. We love the life part. But the godliness we really struggle with. Uh, some people use the word their piety, which is, we, again, a word we use very little. But it's often used referring to the scripture. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and you've heard me say this. If you want a good dictionary, you need to get you a Webster's 1828 version. If you don't want to buy one, there's an online version that's free. Webster says, This godliness is the reverence of the supreme being and the love of his character. The reverence of this supreme being. How do you, how do you relate to God? How do you feel towards God? Well, I want to tell you that God has given you everything you need to maintain this reverence and this holiness before God. Again, Noah Webster in his dictionary said the exercise of these affections in obedience to his will and devotion to his service. That's piety. It's hard. It's really, I struggle. Well, we, we all struggle. I'll tell you where we struggle. We struggle when we let self dictate our lives. We struggle when we don't crucify the selfish desires and, and when we don't embrace what God has given us. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, he's already given us all these things. They're already there. He's given us everything we need. To the degree that we will embrace these promises, as we'll get to, to the degree we will embrace this generosity of God, is to that same degree we will understand life and godliness. Again, he said piety is the only proper and adequate relief of decaying man. The only solution to our humanity, to our depravity of humanity, as we talked about last week, is because is it our piety, the goodness. And then he says that we have gained these these uh, graces. We have gained them through the vehicle of our relationship with Him. He says in verse. Uh, let's go to verse three. Uh, Well, let's go to verse, yeah. His divine power has granted to us all the things 
that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of him. Now, this isn't just information. There is a, there is a knowledge that is just information. This is a knowledge that is relational. This is a knowledge that is interactive. This is a knowledge that says Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. There's an intimate relationship there. Intimate knowledge there. And so our relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is the source of where we receive everything we need for life and godliness. He called us by his glory and goodness. And then he says, we have these very great and precious promises. And we access them through him, these great and precious promises. Now, if I was going to cover all of the promises in the Bible that are, that are ours, uh, you'd all be drawing Social Security, even the young people, by the time I got done. Can't do it. But I just hit three things here I want us to look at. And the first one is faith. Sometimes we think faith is something we work up. Faith is something we conjure up. Faith is something that well, you don't have enough faith. Look at look what the, it says. God has assigned to each of us a measure of faith. That's Romans twelve three. God has assigned to you and to you and to you and to everybody in this room, everybody under the sound of my voice, everybody watching at home. Each one of us has been assigned a measure of faith. Now, you know that God didn't say, okay, this one deserves five liters and that one deserves ten liters and this one over here only deserves one liter. God gave us all faith. Bible tells us that that faith is the assurance of things that are expected and it's the evidence of the things that we don't see. Because God has given you a measure of faith, the measure of faith, Because of that, things that you can't see, you can now embrace. The old King James or New American Standard 1 says it's the substance. It gives substance to the things that we've hoped for. And you and I have this gift from God, this gift called the measure of faith. How else could you trust God? How else could you have the wherewithal to put your trust in God? How else could you believe him when he says something to you? Except that he's given you this faith. And how we exercise it is what's important. Do we exercise our faith? The Bible talks about that we can increase our faith. Increase the strength of our faith. And the exercise of our faith. Do we exercise our faith or do we get caught up in unbelief? Do we disregard Do we panic? Do we panic when we see a circumstance or a situation? Do we panic when we're faced with a decision and run to human reasoning? Now, God gave us a mind, and we need to think with it. Would to God more people would use their, their noggin today. But don't run to human reasoning versus your trust in God. 
Another thing he gave us was grace. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we have the measure of faith, and then we have the measure of grace. We have the measure of faith that enables us to trust. And we have the, the grace that he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is what God gave you, and it's what God gave every believer that's ever called on the name of Jesus. When we were dead in our sins, Bible says, he made us alive by grace, through grace. And we, we like this, this uh, definition we got from our late brother James Ryle, who's in the cloud of witnesses today. Grace is ability from God. That enables us to be who he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. It's, it's an empowerment. It's a, it's, let the force be with you. It's God's force. When, when you came, when God found you and you were in an unregenerated state, you were unsaved. When God found you, because you know that he found you, you didn't find him. He wasn't lost. He gave you and he gave me in that moment the ability to come to him. How else can I get to God as an unregenerated sinner? How else can I get to God except he extends something to me to allow me to come to him? By grace, you've been saved. That, that ability to do what God wants you to do and to be that God wants you to be, that's the great. You can say unmerited favor. It's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. Truth is unmerited favor is really closer to mercy. God gave you the grace. God gave you the ability. God gave you the measure of his gift, his grace. And then the third thing, I've just chosen three, by the way. There's probably 3,000. Empowerment of and by the Spirit of God. The empowerment of and by the Spirit of God. Man, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, I didn't put it on the screen, but Acts 1-8, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, has baptized you, has overshadowed you, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive ability. You say, wait a minute, it says power. I know that. It, you will receive power, which means God's ability. He empowers us. He enables us. You can't, you can't do what God's called you to do, except that He empowers you with His power. You, you know, you, it's not academic. Nothing wrong with reading books. I read plenty of books. I wish I could read more books. But you can read all the books you want, but until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, none of those books will mean much to you. Because you won't have the ability. God gave that to us. Everything. He said when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. We have this agent, the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. 
who walks with us and guides us and reveals to us and convicts us of our sin. And everything that we need, Jesus called him our comforter. Our, the one who goes with us and walks with us. That's God's Holy Spirit. And that empowerment that comes from him is part of that everything we need for life and godliness. So you do have the ability. You do have the ability to live a victorious Christian life. You do have the ability to not allow your flesh to defeat you. You do have the ability to please God and walk with God because he's given you faith and because he's given you grace and because he's given you the empowerment of his Holy Spirit so that we will be able to participate in the divine nature. This is great. Participate in the divine nature. Again, divine is what comes from God. Second Corinthians says that we are being transformed into his image from glory to glory incrementally. We are gradually but ongoing being transformed into the image of God in the image of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, because of, of the promises and because of what he's done in your life, we are partakers of his divine nature. Now, some of the commentators, I guess there's been a problem. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, but evidently, evidently there's people who try to say that there are other people who try to say that we are now God. We, we become God because we partake of his nature. How dumb could you be? I mean, like my friend said, I looked at God and I looked at me and we were nothing alike. <laughs> but I can partake And you partake of that nature of God. What happens when you're regenerated? What happens when that miracle takes place and your spirit is reborn? It's God's DNA. You don't become God. He just becomes part of you. And we grow from glory to glory. Matter of fact, Paul writes it this way to the church of Ephesus. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. We have that ability. Because he's given us everything we need. For life and godliness. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the ability to participate in his nature. Ezekiel describes it this way. He says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you see the word cause? Now, this is the Old Testament, by the way. He said, I will put uh, give you a new heart and a new spirit. Will I put within you divine nature? And he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you. Cause you to walk in my statutes. So how am I ever going to, how am I ever going to achieve that place of obedience to please God? Well, it won't come from straining and, and worrying. It won't come from trying to follow a set of rules. But it will come by recognizing that God at your 
born again experience, born from a, at that moment, God gave you a new spirit and he put one in you. And he said, my Holy Spirit will cause you, will move you, will enable you to walk in all my statutes. Having escaped the corruption that comes from sinful desires. And then he said, an interesting statement, and by the way, this is a two-part message, so don't get nervous. What time is it? (laughs) We're almost done. I didn't start my clock, so you're really in trouble. (laughs) Make every effort. Make every effort. We're just going to cover a little bit here, and then next Sunday we'll finish this message. I was serious about that part. He said, uh, verse 5, I think, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement. For this very reason, you and I are instructed by God to make every effort to supplement. Supplement. What does that mean? That means we have a part in this. We have a part. I'm not talking about works righteousness. I'm not talking about saved by works. I'm talking about we have a part in this. Philippians says that God is working in you. Everybody say me. And if you didn't say it, come get you. God is working in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure, of his good pleasure. While we recognize and we spent a considerable amount of time last Sunday, we recognize that we are not saved by our works. Our works play a part in our Christian walk. And I said last Sunday, I've said it many times, and you've heard me say, that we are Christians. We are not Christians, I'm sorry, because of our good works. But we are we do good works because we are Christians. God is working in you. He's still working in you today. He says, is he done with me? Are you breathing? If you're breathing, he's not done. And he's working in you both to want to, to will, and to work, and to do. To want to, and to do, of his good pleasure. So there's a part that we have to play. And so so Peter's writing, to make every effort to supplement. Spurgeon rightly said, God sends every bird his food. That's God's part. But he doesn't throw it into the nest, our part. There's an important part here. I'm not familiar with D. Edmund Hebert or Hybert. He was a Mennonite uh, theologian, but he wisely reminds us that human effort must follow the work of God. Did you see that the human effort does not precede the work of God? Human effort must follow the work of God, but the participial construction indicates that such human effort is subordinate to the divine bestowal and flows out of it. He's trying to remind us that while it is very important that we see that God's working in us both to will and to work of his good pleasure, he's trying to remind us that that does not precede God, it's that it we are submitted to God doing the work. You can't do it without God's help. But neither... We said, you know, it's really hard for even for God to steer a ship that's still at port. I watched 
Well, we watched uh, an episode recently of Mayberry RFD. See, I, I didn't think you watched anything but the Andy Griffith show. Well, this is a good cousin. And the ship's captain, who looked a lot like Grandpa Walton, the ship's captain had her at the, the helm, and she was turning the wheel. But that it wasn't doing a thing. It wasn't turning. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't anything happened. Why? They were sitting at port. And God is looking for some ships who are moving that He can redirect. Lord help me. The terminology used here in "make every effort to supplement" is the terminology that has the picture of a chorus, of help, of adding to a chorus. So we have this this sound, this production. And I'm going to finish today uh, seemingly in the middle of something. We'll come back next Sunday and talk about the qualities and the increasing quality of those qualities. May not say it just that way. But I want to finish with this statement. I'm not sure who this who this to attribute this to, but even as this picturesque verb meant to richly supply everything an ancient chorus needed, so that it might be a grand production. So believers are to richly supply everything needed so that our life might be a grand production that brings glory, great glory to the Father. Make every effort. And thank God that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything that pertains, everything that moves us forward. And the Christian life is constantly moving forward. The Christian life is constantly growing. You know, I could say what that doesn't mean. I'll just tell you what it does mean. It means that we become more and more conformed, Romans 8, 20, 8, 8, 29, more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We used to sing an old song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Well, we have everything. God has provided everything for us to be like Jesus. He's provided the great and precious promises to you and to me. And he's done his part. And he calls on us to do our part to make this this production, this grand production of our life, something that's pleasing to God. And as I said, next Sunday we will finish this message by dealing with the qualities that Peter lined out, and how they relate to our lives. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, I pray, as often I have, that you, through your Holy Spirit, have said more than I've said. I pray that our eyes of revelation have been opened. I pray that we see what it is that you have designed for us to see. I pray that as we go about our days and our week that we will be cognizant and grateful that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything we need to go about our way, everything to keep moving forward by your faith and by your grace and by your power, that we will never again Utter the words, this Christian life is just too hard. Because now we know that you have provided everything for us. That we could have abundant life and live in a godly manner.
Work on work in our hearts, work in our spirits, Lord Jesus. And we will do our part. We will make every effort to supplement. We will make every effort to allow you to work your will and work in us to work and to do of your good pleasure. May we may we be pleasing in your sight, and may we be your ambassadors into this society in which you have placed us, carrying with us the gospel in our mouths. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the brothers and sisters joining together to worship you today. And we honor you. And I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, God bless you. You're dismissed.